This is Tulsa Kinney, editor of Artillery Magazine. Artillery's been around 11 years, L.A. focus. It's the only art magazine that's fun to read. In this issue... There are articles featuring Christopher Reynolds, Rye Rockland, Narciso Martinez, and Tulsa's friend Jonathan Gold, the Los Angeles Times food writer in one of his last interviews. Artillery is sold nationally on bookstands, newsstands, and museum stores. They're distributed free in L.A. galleries, so maybe check that. Also, you can subscribe to Artillery and get it on your front porch. Go to artillerymag.com slash subscribe. Drag queens would transform themselves with all these materials. And then like that was my intro into sculpture too. That's when I realized like, I'm a material girl, you know, and a materiality queen. And just like, ooh, what happens if I put these things together? And like, how does that change? And if I can transform my body with this makeup or these materials, these like body shapers, these like duct tape and cardboard and stuff like that, then I can do that with objects. And then those objects can teach us something else about our bodies. I'm John Mejias in New York. I'm Zach Smith in Los Angeles. And this is We Eat Art, a podcast where we talk to a real live visual artist about... Sometimes, you know, I have to catch myself. I'll be like, oh, that's too much. That I have to remind myself that, like, art can be a safe space where you could just be the biggest fucking slut with color, with lie. Go for it. And today we're talking to Young Jun Kwok. About... You know, I never read really growing up. I was just like ADD'd the fuck out. It wasn't until my queer literature class in junior year where I had this awesome teacher, Terry Griffith, who exposed me to all these books. You know, James Baldwin and William S. Burroughs. His book, Queer, was huge for me and like really, really changed a lot for me. And I was just like, damn, if only I knew, like, wow, the power of literature, maybe I wouldn't have felt so fucking alone. Maybe I wouldn't have been so fucking lost in trying to, like, have Jesus fix all my problems. This Jesus, quote-unquote. So I knew that there were others out there, and so I found and continue to find, like, my community. We're going to start at the beginning. Okay. I was born in um, 1984 in Queens, New York. Yeah, shortly thereafter, moved to Jersey. Grew up mostly in Jersey. Yeah, I consider myself a Jersey girl. Was it like um, suburban Jersey or was it? was it- suburban Jersey. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Fort Lee. So I lived right across the Hudson in quite a large Korean American community. That was a large part of my upbringing to this Korean immigrant evangelical Christian okay, so it was one of those. community. Yes. So, so I grew are. up in the church. <laughs> I took Taekwondo as a kid. Oh, girl. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Did you really? That's why I learned how to do all my high kicks. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> was this like a situation where like your school was all Korean? It was like a really good portion. My high school was about 30% Korean, 30% Latino, mostly like Puerto Rican, and then 30% white, and then the rest, black mixture. Enough that you could say you grew up in like a Korean-American context. Yeah, particularly like my community, and I would go to church with my parents, and they put a lot of primacy on the church growing up. Right. So is this like yeah, a that, typical that's where my like, friends were and we'd go to like Jesus camps together. to performance arts. <laughs> well, no, I mean I think that it permeates through all of my work like sculptures as well. This search for truth, for beauty, for acceptance, wanting to be saved. Like, I wanted to be saved so hard when I was young. Did you feel like there were things that you wanted to be saved from? Oh, yes. Like, everything. I mean, I was twirling around in my mom's closet with her, like, silk scarves since I was, like, two. And, you know, I just wanted to pray the femme away. I wanted to pray the gay away. I wanted to be So you were there. Normal, you know, on just, like, emotional issues or, like, depression and just things like that that I dealt with, you know, for the longest time, I thought like, you know, what was wrong with me? And I just like wanted Jesus to make everything better. Yeah, it didn't happen like that. No, you're much worse now. 
but yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm happier. And you're on the radio, which you would never have been. Oh my god, yeah, that's right. <laughs> were your parents? Did they have like typical jobs, or were was there some unusual in, in some way? Mm, yeah, they were pretty typical. I would say, like my dad, serial entrepreneur. There's not one thing that he did growing up. He did something when the internet was new and. He was selling mortgages, and now he is selling insurance. But I don't know. I try to keep out of out of all of that, just because. Yeah, I'm pretty sure his current insurance sales thing is like a pyramid scheme. Every time I go back to Jersey to visit my parents, he tries to get me and Marvin to become like insurance salesmen <laughs> under him, and I'm like. Like, Appa, you have no idea, like, who the fuck am I going to sell insurance to? Like, all my friends are other fucking poor artists, like, <laughs> and you bargain up the wrong tree, sorry. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> but that doesn't stop him from asking, for sure. What was the first things that you got into that, like, made you think, like, I want to be an artist and or a musician? Well, I loved to dance and sing when I was young. <laughs> You know, perform, but like privately, no, knowing that sing that, into that was the like handle of the vacuum cleaner. And no, I mean, I just like wanted to be pretty and just like feminine things that like early on in my childhood I realized wasn't right and that I needed to like hide. And drawing, I was always very like artistic from very early on, just in, like a good drawer. Oh. My dad used to also publish comic books at one time, like color separation for Marvel comics before mm. Adobe Photoshop and stuff. And so I had a bunch of comics and I would draw all of, like on countless sheets of paper, these female, like femme superheroes. Was like, it like 90s at 80s? 90s at Jim Lee. Right, right, yeah. These like super buxom, like <laughs> I had this amalgam Catwoman, Psylocke, princess character nice. in like high heels and like giant breasts really exaggerated i mean this might be just the circles that i run in but i know a lot of people who have a weird gender experience in their life but comics and the costuming were huge for them like especially the 90s stuff yeah my friend who's like gender fluid was like we have to go see Deadpool because Domino is in it. Yeah! Because Domino had like this she crazy- was so it was like, But the level of makeup and the level yeah. of like extremity that you could go to like really was like a thing for her. Yeah, she could kick ass. I mean, there are a lot of other problematics with like how the women are represented and such, but- Comics um, are terrible. No, I mean like- But so yeah. That was like my refuge really. Like I would draw like a shit ton of these- comics mm -hmm. I would either try to hide them in all the drawers that I had so all my drawers were stuffed with these drawings that I didn't want people to see and then once those drawers started getting full then I would start drawing these characters and then erasing the whole page and Whoa. on and on and on wow. yeah were you like a yearbook drawing kid were you like oh you're a really good drawer like was that yeah. a public thing like yeah up until like the beginning part of like middle school and high school where I just didn't do anything except take drugs and be alone and, and be sad. And <laughs> and then every so often go to Jesus camp, pray to be saved again. God. But you're like earnestly feeling both things. Like you're like, I want to be in this place really badly. And then you're like, I want to really be in this place. Yeah, like you, I just Cause a lot of people had like a harsh Christian post-immigrant upbringing, but a lot of them, it was harsh, but they didn't buy it, but you were feeling it. You were feeling both ends. Yeah, and whether it be denial or, there was always like the looming threat that I would be exposed somehow. Like even for my brother, older, like later on, yeah. um, he knew what gay was and stuff like that. I don't think he knew what trans was or he knew of like drag queens and stuff like that. and. You know, there was like the threat that he would out me if I wasn't good to him. My mom, she had never heard of like gay, right. for example. Like that doesn't exist in Korea. That's an American thing. Yeah. <laughs> so there was like the 
looming threat of exposure wanting to be saved and then like going to all these Jesus camps that were like so fucked up like convincing myself that I had been saved Ugh, like evangelical Jesus camps like, like quitting smoking over and over oh I never quit smoking did your brother literally threaten you like I'm gonna tell yeah yeah and then other things like getting beat up and stuff like that here and there and like from my brother and there being this like really rigid hierarchy, even though he was like three years older than me that, you know, I can't say shit, you know, and when I would like kind of run to my parents and my mom about it and my mom was like my like last refuge and, you know, so much love, but very traditional. She's like, well, what can I do? He's your older brother. You got to respect. Yeah. Yeah. Even with God, like before I would go to sleep, my mom was like, oh, did you pray? She would like tuck me in and I'm like, "Mm." Mm, yes and she's like because you know if you didn't pray god was a very kind god but god can be a very violent god you know vengeful if you're not doing a performance but you're drawing or painting or doing a sculpture that's pretty immediate and you're Mm -hmm. doing it for like a long time for like 15 20 minutes and you're not distracted you get very much in that same headspace that's the headspace right before you go to sleep where you lay down and it's just you, and you're like, oh, it's just me and me. I know people who are like religious or had a religious part of their life, that's the space where they talk to God, that little, oh, it's all quiet now. Mm. Now it's just you and me. Yeah. And I always thought like the Catholic religious, you know, the artists of the Renaissance is like, oh, they're in that space, you know? There was Mm -hmm. no radio. There wasn't a lot of distractions. And so they're like sitting there like, okay, we're talking now. It's a weirdly intimate moment. Yeah, I don't know. With painting and drawing also, just like eventually with my entrance into contemporary art, you know, I was like, I'm going to be an artist since I was like really young. And then upon going to undergrad at SAIC and then never having had that exposure to like conceptual painting and all my shit was like tired and I'm like, but I can draw really well, you know, and paint really well, but like photorealistically. I can draw Britney just like she looks on this cover. I never got past that. You know, it just became like painful, like trying to, you know, I was a good drawer, but I just like didn't want that baggage and weight of being a painter. And then I would like see some of my other painting friends where it literally flowed out of them, you know, and they're just like uh, poets and like going there. And I really love painting to this day, but I just like realized that that wasn't what I was meant to do. But you must have the idea that I can go to art school. Mm-hmm. So before you actually went and you were like applying or like thinking about going to art school, being an artist, like what was your idea of what that would be? Were you thinking, okay, I like Jim Lee and I like the 90s X-Men. And you're like, I'm going to go be a commercial artist. What was your idea before you went to art school of what the artist that you would be would be? Yeah, maybe drawing comic books okay. or, or making paintings and then becoming really rich and famous. Yeah. As it happens for everybody, right? That's what you do when you go to art school. I mean, it happened to me. I don't know. And then, like, you know, you get promoted and then you just like keep going up in your career. Like, they give you the art school insurance that you get. And then you get a raise every couple of years. All the art art firms come to you and they're like, we have a great client. We're going to, what do you, yeah, the the whole package. Yeah. And so I struggled in like undergrad, but then I had totally outside of an art context, just, you know, I was out of the house. I was halfway across the country. I could do drag now. I was just like a giant slut, like going to Boys Town all the time. And then also just like performing in drag and just like all those years of suppression, repression. It was just like, ah! A good art school girl. (laughs) Well, I mean, during art school, all I wanted was just like a boyfriend. But also like I would perform and that was like really my like first art experience. So did Jesus just disappear like on the plane over? Like what was that relationship? Was it fraught? Um, I think I grew up with that uh, um, idea that, you know, you could be alone, but then Jesus is always there with you. At some point, I was just like, fuck, no, he's not. <laughs> oh, is this in art school? Or- I think, you know, a little before, you know, and that's why even though I was just learning about what people considered to be contemporary art in undergrad, I I wanted it so bad still, you know, I wanted to learn. 
you know, I never read really growing up. I was just like ADD'd the fuck out. And then it wasn't until my queer literature class in junior year where I had this awesome teacher, Terry Griffith, who exposed me to all these books. You know, James Baldwin and William S. Burroughs. The William S. Burroughs, his book Queer was huge for me and like really, really changed a lot for me. And I was just like, damn, if only I knew like, wow, the power of literature, maybe I wouldn't have felt so fucking alone. Maybe I wouldn't have been so fucking lost in trying to like have Jesus fix all my problems. This Jesus, quote unquote, you know? And then, so I knew that there were others out there. And so I found and continue to find like my community. You're that, like, like such an inspiring story of the power of art. Oh, Zach, right? shut like, up. <laughs> no, you. Yes. There are definitely <laughs> artists where they get art early in their life and then they have to fight against the art. No, you know, and then art, there's artists art where the art was all life. the good I mean, stuff. Like, I don't even know if half the shit I'm doing now is like art, quote unquote. You it know? is. It's but in like, a magazine. I don't, ah! <laughs> Zach says it's art. <laughs> so it is, bitches. Yeah. Can we use that as the tagline for this show? <laughs> okay. I want that on my. If Zach says it's art, it's art, bitches. I mean, that's true. We eat art. I'd be really hungry if it wasn't. <laughs> just became the spokesman just now for the whole thing. Do I get paid? Do any of us get paid? <laughs> Justin gets paid. The rest of us just do this because right? we like Boy, it. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Eventually, just, in theory, we're supposed yeah, to Yeah, I mean, like, a lot of the things I do, they're definitely, like, uh, marginally more commercial things. Like, I make objects and stuff like that. But the majority of, like, the performative and, like, the bands, Zena Zerner, Mutant Salon, it's like, we're not making any money. It's for the love of doing it. It's for the love of the community. It's for their love for us, communicating that they need it, they want it. And I'm like, you want it? I'll give it to you. <laughs> but it's also, like, when you have a community of artists... In the simplest relation, like, let's say I'm a chef and I make some food and I sell the food and then I get money and then I buy some more food. If I'm in a community of chefs and I make a meal and I give it to you and then you invite me over the next day and you make it and give it to me, I've just done the same economic relation just faster by cutting out the money bit. So when you're in a community of artists and everybody's making stuff, mm-hmm. you're still getting something back. Mm-hmm. You're getting the art. Oh, you're getting more I'm art. Living. Yeah. yeah. But it's also like your performance is one thing, but also like all the people that you get back, they're also doing stuff and you're consuming that. Yeah. yeah. Learning from each other, growing with each other artistically. I mean, that's like a huge impetus for Mutant Salon, for example, foreshadowing. <laughs> Let's get you there. So you get into art school. You're really good at drawing, but you're like, ah, I don't want to be the yeah, painter that. drawer, right? And then I start making objects afterwards. I mean, with drag. By this point, a couple drag people had been like at the Whitney Biennial. I didn't know that. Like, that 2004 Biennial, there had been like stuff that was curated in from like slightly art adjacent performance. Yeah. You're I learning. I that shit. So yeah, I'll do my homework. Trashy. I mean, I'd like to know, and I've discovered so much, and I feel like I'm so much in the process of finding my lineage, meeting and finding people like Ron. Ron you know, like, yeah. You know, finding out about people like Cyclona here. And Joanna went thinking about like, wow, there is this history. There is this lineage. There are all these like sisters and mothers and just thinking, you know, how could I possibly add to this, you know, or like give tribute to that. Yeah, it was just like really at the like trashy gay clubs and the gay club was like my church. You know, you can lose it and have like a spiritual experience with the disco ball and some song that you're really into and like drag queens would transform themselves with all these materials and then like that was my intro into sculpture too that's when I realized like I'm a material girl you know and a materiality queen and just like oh what happens if I put these things together and like how does that change and if I can transform my body with this makeup or these materials, these like body shapers, these like duct tape and cardboard, then I can do that with objects. And then those objects can teach us something else about our bodies. I've always had this theory that once music started being recorded and became like its own sort of youth culture and then popular culture, it became weirdly literal sense an anti-religion because it's always about what happens while you're alive. 
Pop songs? Yeah, well, pop songs, but also the experience <laughs> of being involved in music. The songs are about love and, and uh, sex and things that happen well, while you're alive. The, you know, that's why I left the gay clubs. Mm. All those fucking, I hated lip syncing. I, I wasn't good at it. But then also, <laughs> I fucking hated the, the like fucking fact ago. that, like, you know, I would not learn the words. I would just, like, try to, like, project my own meaning like I did to Jesus or whatever, yeah. like, to hymns, to these, like, beats. Or so. I was like, fuck this sad looking for the validation of a man all the time or just, like, love, you know, in the most fucking basic-ass way. Mm. Thinking about love and wanting that so hard. Fuck that. Let's get to the real shit and let's talk about trauma. You know, like, and that's that's what precipitated Zena Zerner. Or unfortunately for all of us, a punk. Like everybody else. <laughs> like everybody on the show. It's like, and then I found out I was a punk. Oh my <laughs> God. And the thing is, I know shit about music. I know shit about the punk scene. But then those people were the ones that embraced me. And then like also... I would see amazing shit too. And in Chicago, when we started Zena Zerner, like there were people who were into that. You know, I wanted to make songs that were hard and just like kind of like spoke to the complexity of the trauma of having all of this fucking shit repressed and suppressed and like for so long just like living a lie but then like <laughs> exploding and knowing all of the fucking problematics of you know what it means to be pretty and not being that like pretty blonde boo-eyed white bitch but every who doesn't want to be pretty every so often yeah, yeah. and so I wanted to get pretty and then fucking rage and laugh and express all of those things sadness where can we fucking be sad together and scream together and dance together and like laugh and have joy and just like no matter whether you're straight or gay or like just this interview is an emotional roller coaster like already i'm like feeling bad i'm feeling good i'm feeling sad yeah oh sad i'm there you are i am no you i am <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Zach's batting his eyelashes. I am. Um, so I always cute. am. Now I'm being interviewed. <laughs> Hi, John. Hi, everybody. Can you tell us about some of your early art shows that you started showing? Yeah. Well, I wasn't getting very many early art shows. And like I said, I never really read a book until like junior year, like queer literature class. And I was making these sculptures and showing every so often, you know, and then like people spouting about like queer theory to me. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> and I like, I, you know, and I knew I wanted my work to like be speaking to these things. And very early on, it's just like, I knew that art was never about like the commerce for me, you know? It was about like the love and the passion for it. And so I wanted to, to open my work up to scholarship. I wanted to be able to articulate queer theory and all that bullshit and critical theory. And like, I didn't have the vocabulary. And so I found this, you know, I went to school. <laughs> I didn't pay for it. And it was a year nice. program at U Chicago. Right. This was not an MFA. It was an MA in humanities. Mm -hmm. This MA in humanities program that is otherwise like a gateway program for philosophers and English and art history and writing PhDs. Like at the University of Chicago, the Department of Visual Arts was within the humanities department, but they didn't have any visual artists in that program. And so I got in... I had it really good. They, get, the you know, they gave me funding and then I like had a studio participated in MFA crits. You know, also at that point I was just struggling and so I didn't know if I wanted to be an artist, like commit to that. I wanted to be rich. You know, after that program, I like, yeah, I was like, yeah, it's worth it. It's worth it. So this is what I want to do. It's like, fuck, I need to get my MFA now. <laughs> God damn it. Did you get an MFA? Yeah, I did. That's why I moved out to California. Again, I went to USC. I, I applied to schools that were fully funded, no. knowing that, you know, this broke bitch isn't going to, let's just like rack up more debt. And so I came out here and like found my like LA mom, A.L. Steiner, who brought me out here and Marvin moved out here with me. We kind of like restarted Zena Zerner out here, found a community out here, grew that. And if you don't live in LA, like LA has a really well-developed underground DIY noise dance queer yeah. scene. 
Multiple. If you want to see someone who has a candy flake keyboard come here, yeah, they will be there. Yeah, like anywhere really, you know? But it's just like more for sure out here. More diverse too. More drugs, you know, drugs help. Yeah. Not me though. I mean like last, you know, yesterday for example, we played a show and you know, I was like, oh my God, it's 11 o'clock. I've got this interview, I need to go home. I'm like just drinking water and tea. And I'm sorry I made you go home early. No, 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 I'm grandma's tired. Anyways, so that was my excuse. That and I want to talk about the actual things. The objects. Sure, we'll start with objects. Culture. Yeah, they're not just extrusions of a sensibility that's in your music. They have their own glammy, yeah. goopy quality. Mm-hmm. Were there artists that you were like, oh, I like them, or were you just okay? I'm imagining in my mind what's around me. Oh gosh, no. Well, I mean, there were definitely early influences of, like, Mike Kelly, Paul McCarthy, Bruce Eva Hess. Linda Benglis? Linda Benglis, Louise Bourgeois. Then, like, people that I learned about later, like uh, Anna Mendieta. All the gooey artists. Gooey, gooey artists. Gooey artists. Gooey makeup artists. Yeah, where it wasn't about being pretty and like we can make things monstrous. It could be messy and, but it's still beautiful. There's also an ethic that's in yours that is not in a lot of those artists in the sense of Linda Banglis or Eva Hess would have a sense of organic inevitability. Like this is just what happens when you do this science. Mm-hmm. And it would just be there like it was just a raw plasm. Yeah. Whereas your stuff is like unabashedly dressed up. Look, I'm mm-hmm. goo, but I'm got glitter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> glitter? Where? I guess I meant like iridescence. Yeah. Glitter. That natural shine. Verbal shorthand for, for the yeah. palette. And that's different because it's like, it's not just a shape that feels organic, it, there's also this, I'm trying to be pretty. Or, hmm. There's a different vibe to it. It's artificiality is part of its charm. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think about enacting drag, these things, or my early sculpture, I like definitely just thought of them as drag objects. But then it's not just about the pretty, you know, I wanted it to reflect more of the whole complexity of that experience of like of gender, of sexuality, but then also just like be open to others, you know, just like trauma on a broader level, not just reenacting my own faggoty traumas over and over again, but, you know, how do I make it open enough that other people can enter the work and aren't alienated by There's it? There's also a stuff. sort of science fiction fetishy mm-hmm. presence, kind yeah. of 2001 thing about some, they're like alien objects. Are you trying to say it's future? There's definitely a future. There's definitely that, but it's also a transcendent alienness or an attempt to kind of get out of our normal. It's yeah. not like a, a, an ordinary object transformed. It's more like the object is supposed to be from an alien. Yeah, or I mean, hopefully all of my work, whether it be performance or sculpture and stuff like that, ties to kind of wanting to change how we view and interpret bodies. You know, with sculpture through like the materiality, the functionality and form of those objects. They're all very bodily. You know, I'm also just like trying to own the fag in me, not feeling ashamed about it or anything like that. Is that still a struggle? No. So you did it. <laughs> well, you know, I, I mean, sometimes, you know, I have to catch myself. Sometimes I'll be like, oh, that's too much. That I have to remind myself that like art can be a safe space where you could just be the biggest fucking slut with color. With lie, go for it. I was really lucky, I think, to like find, you know, these mama figures who encourage that, really. Oh, you're looking at the- um, I'm looking at the Mutant Salon video. Yeah, this, you're the- the, um, Tell us about Mutant Salon. Okay, well, yeah, Mutant Salon is one of those things that, is it art, is it not? Like it's, It's art. Well, it makes room for art. It makes space for art. It provides a platform for the art and performance of other people. Okay. First, for the people who know nothing, what is it? 
it's shifting, it's fluid. No, well, it started in, okay, it could be like very right now, just like a sentence. It's a platform for collaborative art and performance with my community of like queer, trans, POC artists and performers in LA. So is it like a group? It's a community. Okay. These are my friends. For those Again, of you like following to, along at home. Yeah, and trying to just give them that importance and that kind of platform that I feel like is deserving and it's systemic how they've been excluded from that. Mutant Salon started in grad school initially because I had moved to LA and we started playing Zena Zerner shows and, you know, I like to get made up every so often and I didn't feel safe to do that in my home outside of my grad studio. And so I had to make my grad studio into like a kind of like dressing room too. I thought, why not make a project out of it and call it Mutant Salon? Just again, for the people following along at home, like you have a makeup table, you know, you have the bulb glass mm -hmm. thing, right? And it's like people come and you get made up. Yeah, yeah. And so like the performers in Mutant Salon, especially now, since it's like kind of grown into like more of a production, I kind of take a back seat and it was really like the impetus for Mutant Salon was also to like involve other people in the studio, not feel alone. <laughs> oh, damn, it's all coming back. No. All back to community. Yes, yeah. Well, I mean, I would go to these Zena Zerner shows and at like 2 a.m. in the morning in some moldy ass basement, I would see some fucking crazy, risky, amazing experimental performance art that I had never seen before in a gallery. And I was just so tired of fucking these boring ass durational performances at galleries that just like no risk. It's like, really, really, you want yeah. me to sit here and like, look at you just like standing there and like, I, whatever. Not to say that durational performance art can't be good too. It's just, I would see a lot of bad performance art and then, you know, see these things. And then like by performers who had never gone to art school, never, you know, shown in a contemporary art gallery, like the ones that you and I show at. Right. And wondering, why isn't this in a gallery? You know, and I had the space. I was getting the financial and then all this other backing and support from the institution. And I want to work with y'all and, like, come in and let's party and let's play and let's make stuff. And then I was getting offered these shows and stuff like that. And it just kept growing. Can you tell us about exercise? It was a bunch of people doing, like, an 80s sort oh, yeah. of exercise thing. The Mutant Salon exercise video with Mutant Salon, this idea of like a place for us and our community for self-care. It just was a natural step for us to make an exercise slash exorcise video. And so we made these like exercise tools and thinking about pushing our bodies to this like convulsive, like potentially unobtainable limit. You know, our asses exploding. But that's like just, a really powerful like bunch of different things that you talked about kind of together. It's like devotion, devotion to something, you, an ideal that you can't necessarily reach, but also like you want it, like desire and then trying to be pretty, like all at one. And then there's like the exercise video, like leg warmer sensibility. It's like, it's like everything in one. That pun encapsulates oh like a lot of, of what you've been talking about so far. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, Justin, would you mind passing that shake weight? Yeah, yeah, you were pointing at it. Yeah, so like this is an example of one of the, you know, mutant salon objects that we this made. This is very for the... like naked lunchy, yeah. like very disturbing, it's like ergonomic. Underground Poseidon scepter <laughs> claw. Yeah. And then goo. There, that's our weight. hula hoop of despair. It's really light. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the idea is, what you were know, you trying to communicate see how you feel about this? that. Keep doing that for 10 minutes and see what, you know. Yeah, you're right. And then look oh, at your I'm forearms already. Like a week later. And, and then we, like, made a sculpture out of it, too. We really liked the objects that we made for the video. And, you know, we were asked to do a show. And then, like, oh, how can we display these objects without it being, like, this tired typical play on showing ephemera like performance ephemera like a museum or something like that in some display case so you know i decided i wanted to like make a exercise like rack for it and yeah. make it a sculpture i like getting my money's worth Efficiency. there's so much stacked up against me already just in terms of time and 
and money and all these other things. It's like, why not do that performance, document it, make a video out of it, use the props, make a sculpture out of it and all the trash, right. <laughs> you know, yeah, we, we can use for the next video or like make whatever keep or, all the flyers. or make, make a, a painting or something, something like right, that, yeah. you know, yeah. but, but aside from that, realizing that all this stuff is going to be archived and that's really important seeing learning about other collectives in the past in LA like Osco mm -hmm. yeah you know and like seeing that Axis Mundo show that was part of PST at the Pacific Design Center I don't know if there was a whole section kind of about lace Los Angeles contemporary yeah, yeah. exhibitions history for supporting queer feminist radical uncommercial like work by like queer and feminists like mostly like Chicano yeah. art Chicanx artists and then I'm like doing the residency this summer along with Mutant Salon so Young Jun Kwok and Mutant Salon yes the summer show and really feeling like wow it's the 40th year anniversary let's fucking move this forward there's you know gonna be a publication afterwards and stuff like that the more we do these the more like it becomes clear like la yeah. and lace has this like very specific way of doing things that has evolved over the years like osco and all the, the shit that i like discovered from the past like inspires me and it's like the kind of shit that i wish that i had when i or knew of when i was a child yeah, like and Asco so, like, didn't get like a lot of press. Yeah, or seeing like all these fucking crazy radical queens like Cyclona and hearing about their stories. Yeah, I like try to document the fuck out of everything that I do. Like especially with performance, who might see it like five people, and especially at Zena Zerner shows, we got the archive for the children. What in your in your mind makes a good performance. I, th I think I ask this because I've seen so much bad performance and sometimes there's just like a little fine line in your checklist. Tell us, what oh. is a good performance? I don't know. Okay, <laughs> when you do it, is it theater or a sport? No, it's not theater. That's the worst. I am not an actor. It needs to be real. So you might fail. You know? Oh, failure. Are we talking about failure yet? Yeah, right. that's what I mean. When there's a possibility of failure, it's kind of like a sport. You might do it wrong. Yes. Then there's a kind of performance where everything is planned. It's like an opera. Yeah. It's going to happen yeah. whether there's anyone watching or not. Yeah. I mean, with Zena Zerner, for example, the expectation is that wrong will be part of it. And that's real. Like, I fucking wear six-inch heels. It's just going to fall. You know, like, my lashes are going to fucking fall off. Yeah. Like, my wig's going to get caught on shit. My face is going to melt off. But that's real. That's what people connect to, too. You know, and I still give it my all. And I definitely think a lot about the difference of, between theater. Yeah, I'm, I'm just not a good actor as well. Not to say that there aren't uh, other performance art things, theater that counts as art as well. It's just like, for me, I'm just like letting you know what qualifies, like, you know, when I feel like I'm doing a good performance or something yeah, like I that. And it's all about the connection with the audience too. You know, being really cognizant of the audience that you are addressing in the room, the kind of like discipline or history or like, what are you trying to do? If you want me to go there with you, you know, I don't want to just see somebody jacking off just cause, you know. You always want something that transcends a normal experience, but there's different ways to do it. Like I always think of like the ultimate theater thing is like somebody who's like a really good like juggler or sword swallower, they know what they're gonna do. They've done it 20 times at home. They throw the sword up in the air, it splits over, they open their mouth, it goes down, and they're like Phew. That's amazing whether or not anyone's watching. When you pay, you see the show, it was already planned, they knew that was gonna happen. It's not an attempt. You're just watching a thing that you wouldn't have seen before. Yeah. Ron Athey's thing was, Ron's usually doing something he knows how it's gonna go, mm -hmm. but the audience makes it formal, Mm -hmm. and it's about feeling them watching you and making it into a ceremony. Then there's like the thing where you put yourself in a position where you literally don't know what's going to happen. Like there's a chaos element and like... Yeah, sometimes there's a chaos element with Mutant Salon because it's, it's totally outside of me a lot of times. You know, I'm not going to censor anybody. These are my friends. These are the artists that I'm supporting and Especially with the summer coming up, you know, I'm, we have a lot of time for installation and sometimes the whole space or the mutant salon portion of the space mm -hmm. will, like, I have no idea what it'll look like because they're all, the space itself will be very 
collaborative and collective. I'm interested in whether you feel like Los Angeles and Hollywood are like weird influences on performance. Because I feel like you could look at the history of performance art in LA and the art that's kind of propish as like a sort of alternate Hollywood. These are all people who came to perform in some way or another. And they're like, well, you don't want me to perform? I'll perform my way. Mm. Does, do you feel that vibe? Because ASCO definitely did. They made non-movies. Yeah. No. Okay. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's just because this Hollywood is so prevalent in L.A. You know, it's easy to find a community that's also very, like, resistant to that. Yeah. So yeah. you don't feel like you're near it. I really don't, you know? I kind of forget about Hollywood. Because um, Ron was going on and on about how well, saying on and on makes it sound like I don't get it, what I do, which is like, the point at which like the art directors for the music videos come to your performances and then mm. you see their stuff, your stuff being oh, ripped yeah, off. Well, you know, like, there's that when you're Ron Parasitic. <laughs> but I can see like Lady mm. Gaga coming to a thing and being like, I'm stealing this. And then suddenly she's gotten all kind of goopy and you're yeah. like, where did this goopiness come from? She can't steal all of it. She can try. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just what happens in pop and like yeah. thinking how could it be different from pop? How could it be something that can't be replicated by them? You know, they won't go there. And then therein lies that urgency to have to do it. Because nobody else will, will. Yeah. And why is there that stigma that we can't do it, you know? I'm interested in this one as just being different. Yeah. It's hermaphroditus reveal. It's yeah, a sort of long reveal. scroll yeah. of... Fiberglass. Fiberglass. It looks kind of like a burlapy color, mm -hmm. kind of transition. Has hands and legs, but it has no glamminess. It has to it. hands and then like a hand holding it yeah. from the floor. That is from my last show, Her Me or Her My, um, that was at Commonwealth and Council. And the whole show was kind of like inspired by this my thinking of like the Greek figure deity, Hermaphroditus, the child of Hermes and Aphrodite, you know. and and also Hermes statues, but this piece particularly. I have a picture of Hermaphroditus. Oh, Justin, would you mind? Can I just point out something in front of the wall? That, the one where she's lifting the fabric? Sure. That's second century BC, ancient Greek statue of Hermaphroditus and the lying Hermaphroditus next to it as well. And I have this really distinct memory when I was like, you know, a G Jersey girl, like six years old, like... Oh, I'm in France, you know, like we went on a family vacation and like seeing these statues <laughs> yeah. and like, ah, like everybody, you know, kind of right. like giggling behind it. And if you think about like the child of Hermes and Aphrodite and all of the nuances of the masculine and the feminine and what that ideal synthesis can look like, how it could be represented. And it's always reverts to a chick with a dick often with the salacious reveal like that, you know? But in that statue, I know that it had color at one point. Right. But looking at it, absent of any color, there's no clear demarcation in the form itself of where the fabric ends and the skin begins. You know, where the mm -hmm. fabric ends and the genitalia begins and stuff like that. Is it right. being lifted up or lifted down? And so I was just thinking about that same kind of gesture of like the lifting of the fabric, but mm -hmm. then what's being revealed, just negative space and it's all body. Wanting to resist that impulse to give it to you. It feels kind of like the William Burroughs aspect. In some pieces, it's less obvious because Burroughs didn't have a traditional queer aesthetic. He was an asshole. His characters were fucking bastards. Yeah, they were mean people. But there was also a certain heavy biomorphic drug yes. thing. Amoeboid protoplasmic projections. <laughs> straining with a blind worm hunger to enter the other's body. And the crab people. Oh yeah, and the crab people. <laughs> Those weird, gross crab people. Yeah. Were, there was nothing like sexy about them. Yeah. I also like this like weird light fixture. Oh, the, the, like makeup wipes. It's like a light fixture yeah. in the ceiling, right? Yeah, yeah. Have you ever been to Commonwealth and Council? No, I don't think well, I have. The architecture oh wait, is it's great. In LA, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have, but I don't yeah. remember which is which. I'm bad at keeping well, galleries straight. I'll introduce straight. you to Young. He's he's a gallerist. I guess. <laughs> yeah. All gallerists are great, right? No. All great. No. Oh, God. No, <laughs> not at all. Ugh. No, they're not. Just what are you talking about? But Young is great. That's our official line here on yeah. the weed art, is that all gallerists are great. Ah! I guess. Yeah. I wasn't at the meeting for that. 
All galleries are great. Yeah. I want to get back to important questions. Yes. What do you want your audience to feel when they see your shows, when they see your performance? The performances are different from the sculptures. Why I continue to do Zena Zerner, why I started doing Zena Zerner in the first place was because I wanted that more immediate connection between bodies. You know, that you don't get with sculpture. You don't get with, like, aesthetic contemplation with objects in a gallery, at least immediately, you know? I want, like, the instant gratification, the instant catharsis. Also, if you make an art show and someone's hot and they go to your art show, you might not know. But if they go see your band play, then you know. Mm -hmm. But then I love when people who don't know us see us perform. And then to, like, witness that transition from the beginning of the show of that like skepticism of that kind of barrier and then see that all just fucking unravel and then by the end of it they're just like down and jamming and we've connected who's the ideal people to play with then like if you could custom make someone oh we've had other shows that we performed with other people in LA like other artists I'm saying if you want that audience that doesn't know you and is surprised you could handpick who they came to see, and then you show them? Like, what kind of audience would you pick for that reveal? Hmm. I don't know. Just, like, everyday, like, middle American, whatever they're into at that location, really. You know, I want to go to... We went on tour in, like, the South when you're in, like, some venues. There were, like, you know, just a handful of people. I think some of people were just, like, bored out of their minds and just, like, happened in there. And what's this fucking drag queen going to do now? And then afterwards being, like, whoa, that was intense. You know, (laughs) I'm scared of you, but I'm turned on by you. And... I feel healed by you and thank you and let's go burn this cross together. I want to weird them out. But then, you know, whether it be with my objects or performance, like I don't want to alienate anybody. I don't want to recapitulate that difference, that otherness that I already feel. It's about finding that, I hate that word, liminal. The liminal space between comfortability and uncomfortability where... Somebody can like exist in the same room and and see something different or feel something different. And then is that process of learning and understanding, like greater connection. You want to give them weird love until they love it. They don't have to love it. Okay. But I want them to like leave with a greater understanding and acceptance. There's confrontational performances where the artist is absolutely like, I don't, you have a positive agenda regarding those people. You see the people, you want to confront them and weird them out, at least some of the audience, but you also want them to walk away with something that's like positive and accepting and good. Well, not all the time. There are sometimes performance artists where you're like, I want certain people, I want to confront them. And it's, mm-hmm. it's aggressive and yeah. confronting, and that's it. Yeah. Like, I don't care how they walk away. I mean, away. we performed with Zena Zerner, particularly not art galleries, because, you know, it's the same fucking art audience coming out to everything. Yeah, with, like, Zena Zerner shows, like, sometimes, like, we'll end up in, like, spaces that I feel really threatened in, you know, like, in the South, and we'll be, like, a bunch of bros, they're getting really aggressive, they're all on drugs, like, I'm fearing for my safety, and then I just need to scream, I need to rage, and the performance gets really violent, too. And so and adaptable it's just like, it's, it's real like that. And then afterwards, he'll be like, that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> More punk rock. I live for that, too. Well, I guess with my art, 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 capital A art, I... You're not going to win them all, but knowing that I do not want to, like, self-marginalize in, like, an art context, you know, like, my objects are, like, more static, of course, you know, than my performances. Yeah, I mean, but there are some people who, 
they double down on that. You know, they go in the other direction. Like, I'm super gonna self-marginalize it. Fuck that, though. I mean, like, really. I don't have any trouble with that. I already fucking feel forced into these categories. And then, like, what does anybody else get out of that? Mm. I'm still fucking broke. I want to resist the impulse to, like, kind of repeat that fucking trauma over and over again. I really do believe in the potential of art to like open people's minds and hearts and then also be a way into unraveling all the fucking hatred and misunderstanding in the world. Yes. Yeah. It sounds like a celebration to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, the fun, the celebration, the play is also a very important thing. When I was painting, I didn't feel that, you know, it was just every painting was a struggle. It's like, where's the joy? You know, why am I making this? But there's, it's a play about trauma. You just say you want things to be about trauma. I guess that's an interesting line. How do those things relate to each other? Cathartic? Well, it's cathartic, but also I don't want to traumatize the audience is the other thing, you know? It's like, what do we get from that? I want to, like, create some kind of, like, encounter with the traumatic, like, non... the (laughs) non-events. It's on the one hand, like, a symptom of trauma, how trauma repeats itself. But then I'm also like, we all went through some shit, you know? There are people who are go through way more crazier traumas than us. So it's just like, how can I create a situation in which it's a symptom of the trauma, but then it's also some kind of like working through of it. Mm, I don't know. That's a real thing. It's just hard to talk about. It's a real and a common attempt, you know, where people are like, I want to talk about the horrible thing in a way that makes it beautiful. But that's a, it's always like, well, how are we doing that? How do we do that? If my Aunt Helen, who's a senior citizen, old Puerto Rican lady, went to your show, she mm-hmm. would be nothing but traumatized. She would just be horrified and go. No, but perhaps like a mutant salon or a Xena Zerner show, yes. But then like with my last sculpture show, for example, like that's, you know, totally cognizant of it being a sculpture show in a gallery. There was a really beautiful moment when there was like a tour group of waspy, like older, like, I don't want to say like housewives or something like that from the OC. Sure. They had their like little art advisor with them. And then I was able to talk to them and they were able to engage with the work on a formal level and recognize it as sculpture. That's like the hook. And then I can talk to them about my ideas. And then they're like, oh, and then there's like this appreciation and a kind of opening up of a dialogue. With my last show, it was really gratifying for me to like connect with the OC ladies who lunch too. Just thinking about those ladies, there's a certain lens I can see through your art where like those ladies have little object art in their house. Some of them are real art and some of them are like things they bought on the beach that are kind of cute. And I imagine like if I take one of those objects in their house and I replace them with one of yours, it has things in common, but it has just the very gestures you choose, just in a lot of times very subtle ways, not necessarily materials, or just like the extremeness just Mm -hmm. refers to viscerality more. Mm -hmm. It's like just through the gesture. Over there, we're looking at one, it's like an iridescent sheet of this Mm -hmm. like lavender and yellow and aqua. Yeah, print of an oil slick. Is it metal? Yeah, Yeah. it's a welded steel. You could take that and take away someone's sort of giant dream catcher and put that where it is. And the extremity, there's something that in that context of the decorative about the way those those welded steel things are that just you can't forget a real bodily (laughs) experience every time you look at it. Yeah. It has on paper the qualities of like, oh, it's a steel armature with a beautiful piece of like iridescent Mm -hmm. plastic that catches the light in a certain way, but the gesture you put into it just Mm -hmm. feels like a body and it will never not. Yeah, and that's okay. It wasn't about those rich white women buying my work necessarily, you know? It was just about that unexpected encounter and that kind of connecting with them. It's about art history too. It's about adding to the discourse of sculpture, just like you feel like you're doing something with painting or with like podcasting. It will be archived and stuff like that. And 
that there is inherent value to that. And so it's really important that when I make a sculpture show, it's like, no, bitch, it's like, you could say it's ugly. It could be fucking faggoty as hell, but then it's saying something about sculpture. You know, I want it to be within that discourse. It's yeah. like, I don't want to exclude myself from that. You can buy it or not want to buy it. Maybe it won't look good in your fucking next to your couch right now. But um, it does. Yeah, that those are trends too. Things yeah. change. I, I guess what I'm interested in is like, when you do a performance, you do a performance in drag, you're bringing in a lot of content everyone knows what a drag performance is, you know, and a lot of mm-hmm. contradictions brought up in that. Whereas when you're just dealing with sculpture, yeah, the way that you bring in a lot of these things just in the shapes you choose without being obvious about it, mm-hmm. that's interesting because you can look at one of these candy-colored spiral things mm-hmm. and you're like, it's definitely goopy. The way that it employs beautiful mm-hmm. color is just yeah, off that's- of a norm enough that without making any specific cultural reference, you're like, oh, I know where I am. And it's kind of great. That's interesting though. Something stripped yeah. off of it still has that same sensibility in yeah. it embedded. Yeah, I, I also like made a body of work that was all black and dark. I don't know, maybe the next work will be different. I mean, this specifically yeah. was the color slut, like right. body of work. Some of the dark stuff reminds me of Kurosawa films a little bit, like his weird dream sequence Hmm. one. There's like a a theatrical black light from one direction, and then there's God figures with colored. Yeah. Mm. I got that, but maybe I'm crazy. No, no, I need to revisit. Kagamusha. (laughs) Kagamusha's not in color though, right? Kurosawa's Dreams is like not my favorite of his things, but Ron and Dreams don't have a very specific color sense that's intense, yeah. but it's black against it, and there's these splashes of like blood. It's theatrical. What films are like- Ron is like his super color samurai one. So it's like King Lear, so it's like yes. three colors. Yeah. It's like yellow, blue, and red armies. Mm-hmm. And then Dreams was like a later one where he's kind of falling apart and maybe like not at his best, but the visual- Which is in color. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. But the visuals in Akira Kurosawa's dreams, they have these sort of intense, I don't know, there's this evocation of, I just, one of your videos, like, kind of reminded of one of, mm. like, there's, like, these figures on black and then mm-hmm. color and yeah. a certain amount of operatics. That's a really good reference, too. I'm just like, whoa. Like, I need to revisit <laughs> that, and maybe that will be, like, my next body of work will be like that. I like that you like to say yes. That's good. What? You like to say yes. You're you're positive. More positive. <laughs> yes, please, more. Our kind of people. More, please. You, you have like some doubt in the beginning, but then it's- I'm on really good drugs. Currently? Have been. No, well, no, no. I mean, well, maybe, but- Meaning like psychiatrist feel good it's drugs? It's the legal. Or? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah I'm okay. on a really good regimen since like- Almost 10 years and from being like miserable forever, like, you know, it's just been uphill from there. That's another podcast, though. We got to touch on it slightly. How do you feel about being on these feel-good drugs? They're not feel-good drugs. You know, I need a rage and I get intensely sad. And I think that a lot of Mm. my work is an expression of that sadness as well. But not just sad, like... We definitely get a sense of sadness and conflict from your origin story. Yeah, well, I mean, I hope it's like radically sad somehow. Sadical. <laughs> Just make that up. No, no, no. <laughs> That's like how I describe like Zena Zerner music is like sexperimental and sadical. But I think a lot of women like identify with that too. Like in the street, like put a smile on your face, you know, what's that frown for? You know, this like kind of mandate to be happy, this mandate to be successful, like this mandate to accept the situation that you're given and just ignore the fucking fact that like of all the other bullshit going on in the world, the fact that like, you know, there is like a kind of urgency to wanting to imagine a different world from the one that we live in. And that comes down to like the failure aspect too. What does it mean to be successful in this country, you know, or in this world, making the most money or like winners and losers and stuff like that. I get fucking intensely sad. The kind of sad, there's a difference between an expression of I'm in a place and I'm sad. And then there's a sort of, are we sad? Critically sad? Is that- <laughs> it's about a kind of sadness like 
where you're reaching out to other people to see if they also are in that same space. Like yeah, it's a socialize. I mean, like, That's a different kind of these thing. These are the people that like make me happy. Right. So you're like, this is terrible. Do you agree that this is terrible? And that that's different than like, leave me alone. I, everything's terrible. Like those are two different ways yeah. of working. I mean, like I, I you know, I'm, uh, let's just leave it at us. I'm not like on just happy drugs. We could talk about like drugs, like afterwards, you know, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm more stable, let's say. I would hate to be on some fucking drugs that just made me happy. The drugs that I'm on are just like allow me to live and like, okay. you know, like get out of bed and fucking be able to channel. There's a fine line with empathy. If you empathize with every fucking thing, you get nothing done because you're just like, oh, that guy died. Ah, oh, that guy's homeless. Ah, oh, the bunny just got shot. But at the same time, if you have none, then you're not reaching out to other people and then getting a source of not being depressed all the time. There's a stability in between. Yeah, I'm... I'm... What are you guys taking drugs over there? Yep. Yeah. Altoids. <laughs> oh my God, these are great. Whoa. God, look at that. That's the, the poppers. Have you ever really looked at the trees? Oh my God, Zach, try, try the poppers. Try. <laughs> I really need I a massage. <laughs> I'm going back to William Burroughs for a second. And this can go anywhere in the room. William Burroughs represents this interesting thing where both drugs and queerness had not been socialized in any way at his time, like at least not in a, the public mind. There was no public image of what those things were. And then coming back to the similar themes so many years later, after both of those things have been given tons of context, like we know what it means to say something is druggy and we know what a queer sensibility is supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. But still having all those same feelings and those same kind of like relationship to the weirdness of the body. But then after all of this culture happened to it, after the public has an idea of what those things are supposed to mean, mm -hmm. is interesting. I mean, Cronenberg did it, but I think Cronenberg was mm -hmm. straight. So he would film Burroughs stuff with this biomorphic sensibility mm -hmm. in his movies, but it was dry and scientific on a certain level. Yeah, I mean, I always read it with William S. Burroughs as like it being this, you know, again, like this like blind worm hunger inside that yeah. was like this deep, deep, unfulfilled void that manifested itself in these like awful protagonists. We need our negative role models too. Yes. I mean, like I came out to my parents. I mean, they, they should have known. But like, I mean, I came out to my parents after reading that book because I was just like, I don't want to end up like that. Did you ever see the photo of William Burroughs with his uh, Halloween pumpkin? I probably have, but no, I can't. I can't imagine it right it's now. It's an amazing picture. It's like, it's Burroughs, like it's clearly him on, and his, behind him is his house. And his Halloween pumpkin is just like three slashes, just like... <laughs> And they make a face perfectly. They make this face, but it's like, you feel like I didn't know you could do that to a pumpkin. <laughs> it's a decorative object, yeah. you know? And, but it has that visceral, just in the way it was done. There's yeah. no bones stuck to it. Mm -hmm. There's no nails. It's just yeah. like the way he went at it with mm -hmm. the same instrument everyone else does. Do you think he, he made, made a sketch it. up and like, you know, designed it and it's very like, you know, based on the f formally what's right. Yeah. I, I gravitate toward art like that too, you know. You've been very generous with your time. Likewise. I'm glad you guys aren't assholes. I mean, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> That's our next promo. They're not assholes. We, we've considered yeah. it. Thanks for listening to this episode of We Eat Art. Check out our guests, Young June Kwok, right now at Los Angeles Contemporary Exhibition, also known as Lace, in an ongoing installation and exhibition called Cavernous. Along with Mutant Salon, so Young June Kwok and Mutant Salon, yes. Young June's art will be everywhere in it. It's the 40th year anniversary. Let's fucking move this forward. There's gonna be a publication afterwards. There'll be a writing slash zine workshop happening from August 13th to the 16th, and there'll be a closing party when the exhibition closes 
on August 26th from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. Young June's band Zena Zerner will be performing, as well as other bands and DJs. If you want to see more art by the artists that we discuss or just connect with us on social media, you can hit us up on our Instagram, which is John? We eat art. Also, John has more of my artwork at my Instagram page, which is John Mejias Papeng, or Tumblr, all things Papeng. And don't forget, we have a Patreon. Please consider becoming a patron. Then you will be one of our supporters with your donations. You'll get exclusive episodes, t-shirts, stickers, all sorts of great things. Go to patreon.com backslash we eat art. We eat art. It's produced by Papeng and Mnemonic Recordings. Our sound producer, engineer, and editor is Justin Asher. Zach <laughs> says it's art. <laughs> so it is, bitches. Yeah. Can we use that as the tagline for this show? <laughs> oh, I hate that word, liminal.